Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by Old School Lane, producing various content from blogs, videos, and podcasts discussing about movies, TV shows, video games, and everything else in between since 2011. You can check out the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. We're associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Aaron Meta Show. It's time for Welcome to a new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I am here with Aaron Meta from the Aaron Meta Show. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, so we haven't done an episode of Casual Chats in a while. I needed to take a break after the over three-hour-long podcast I did on My Life as a Teenage Robot with the amazing people behind the My Life as a Teenage Robot fan pace and the My Life as a Teenage Robot animation project. So, yeah, I just want to thank you guys so much. It was a really fun time. And now we're back to basics with Casual Chats and one that I am really, really excited about. So recently, it was the 30th anniversary of the 1993 animated series Animaniacs. So I am super thrilled to be talking about this show. Yeah. And by the way, we're talking about like the original version, like not the Hulu version. Yeah, we're we're talking about the 1993 version. We are not talking about the 2020 version. So maybe we'll talk about that sometime down the line. But for now, let's just focus on the original. So after the major success of Tiny Toon Adventures, which Kevin and I did talk about many years ago on Casual Chats, uh, if you want to go check that out, Tom Ruger was brought in to do a new series, which was called Animaniacs. And he essentially brought in Richard Stone, Steve and Julie Bernstein, and he brought in Paul Rugg, Peter Hastings, and uh, various other people who worked on Tiny Toons and some new people who work on this new series. And a lot of people who voiced on Tiny Toon Adventures came back to voice in Animaniacs, like Tress McNeil for Babs Bunny. She was the voice of Dot. And Rob Paulson, who was Arnold the Pitbull, was the voice of Yakko. And a newcomer at the time, which was Jess Harnell, who's the voice of Wacko. And um, basically, the premises is this. In the 1930s, at Warner Brothers. Termite Terrace had created a new series of cartoon characters known as the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot. And they caused so much chaos and mayhem that the studio was just so overwhelmed with them. They locked up the cartoons away for nobody to ever see again. And they locked up the Warner Brothers and Sister in a tower for decades. And now they finally were let loose and we get to see their crazy mayhem in the 90s. So there's a lot of segments 
villains in the series. There's the Warner Brothers and Warner Sister. There's Pinky and the Brain, which are two rats who want to take over the world. We have um, Mindy and Buttons, which is a little girl uh, who is wandering around and her dog Buttons tries to chase after her so that she doesn't get into trouble. We have the hippos who are just these lovable hippos who just uh, are very um, caring towards one another while things are happening. We have the Good Feathers, which is essentially a good fellas parody where you have this one pigeon who wants to be a good feather and join alongside with the two good uh, feathers and we have Rita and Runt which is a cat named Rita and a dog named Runt the dog doesn't know that Rita is a cat and Rita has this beautiful singing voice that she performs on the the alleyways and um, yeah there's just a ton of other like little interstitials like Chicken Boo which is like this uh, character that nobody knows is a chicken there's Katie Kaboom which is a teenage girl and everything explodes around her but yeah that is essentially the the series of Animaniacs it's a bunch of um, various interstitials that are pieced together into one big show I actually recorded an episode of casual chats on Animaniacs five years ago when it was the 25th anniversary and I had over Morgan Leaguer from Vaulting. I had Jaime Tude from Pages to Pictures and I had various other guests, but unfortunately I had lost that audio. So shout out to the original co-host of that. I wish that I could have found it and put it up there, but I'm making up for lost time. Let's talk about Animaniacs. Yeah. So uh, one thing actually I wanted to uh, make mention is that, uh, you know, the very beginning of uh, the Animaniacs, when it was first in production, the, you know, uh, the uh, Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister that we know today surprisingly weren't that wasn't their original forms. Originally, they were going to be platypuses. That's right. Yeah. So there were going to be platypuses and they almost looked akin to like Plucky Duck, which I know that Plucky Duck was a very popular character in Tiny Toons and he would have his own spinoff series years later. And I think one of the reasons why they decided to change from platypuses to brothers was because there was already characters of platypuses in Tasmania called the Platypus Brothers. And I guess they were fearing that they were going to be like sued. So I guess they decided to change them into dogs instead. Well, I mean, like, you know, uh, Tasmania was a Warner Brothers, you know, uh, um, thing as well, wasn't it? So, like, uh, I don't think there's any problems with that. I think the problem is, I think they were kind of worried about uh, the fact that they were going to run into being, uh, you know, when uh, the Disney Afternoon kind of like, you know, died a death because like they just oversaturated with like dark characters. That was what I felt they were worried about. It's like, you know, you got platypuses over here, you got platypuses over here. It's like, you know, maybe maybe that's what they were worried about. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the saturation for- of platypuses. <laughs> exactly. And, and then Disney would have a platypus character many years later on Phineas and Ferb. So I guess around the 90s when they were seeing the oversaturation of ducks with duck tails and quack yeah, that's, pack. That, that's one platypus compared to like a bunch of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's yeah. true. Quality over quantity. What do we always say? That's yeah. very true. Yeah. So I, I guess it was a, a good decision for the change from platypuses into dogs. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of implementations that they brought in from Tiny Toons and put it into Animaniacs, whereas Tiny Toons was essentially like Looney Tunes for a new generation. You have them going over to a university so that they can be able to learn how to be wacky and crazy, very similar to like Bugs, Daffy, Porky, and etc. And then you have essentially like, okay, what if these cartoon 
characters created from the 1940s were locked up in a tower for over 60 years and then finally were released in the 90s. So, like, what would happen? And I just the- want to comment on that, if I may. Is that I don't know why, but during the 90s, we were always seems to be obsessed with like things being locked up like several decades ago and then all of a sudden like being opened up. Whether it was like you know uh, the Warner Brothers and, and you know uh, Dot and like in the Animaniacs, or uh, there was you know that episode in like you know the Avengers of Superman, like uh, where like you know these Nazis were locked up and then they came back out and then find out that they lost the war and uh, then like you know there's like the kid was Captain Caveman and Son. If you remember those Captain Caveman who were like he was apparently like frozen in time and then finally like you know he was released after all these years and like, he's the world's first superhero and stuff like that. I don't know it- why like during our childhood we seem to be quite obsessed with things being locked away and then all of a sudden coming coming back to life you know in the 90s yeah so, exactly yeah. Uh, do you remember do you remember encino man with brendan fraser that rings a bell actually um, yeah it was essentially a caveman who was thawed out and he is in the 90s like almost like captain caveman yeah what would happen if a caveman was thawed out and was raised in the 90s yeah, and also you mentioned before, like all the characters who were involved in Animaniacs, and they keep this in mind, like it wasn't the same thing over and over again. Yes, you had the skits, like you know, we'll talk about the skits with like you know Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, like you know, be putting all these scenarios. But they did the one thing that was very popular at that time. And you know what that was, Patricia? And what is that? The Variety Show. That's and, right. Uh, so, yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. So, like, you know, uh, you had, you know, Kids WB. Obviously, you're running with Animaniacs on, um, you know, Cartoon Network. You're running the What a Cartoon Show. And if you remember, like, you know, that had like, you know, basically created the cartoon cartoons that we know and love today, pretty much. You know, back from back in the '90s. And uh, yeah, like, uh, there was so many of these shows that were around. I think the Animaniacs came in at the right time because there was this thirst and this, like, this, uh, you know, um, wanting to like see something like new, but at the same time wanting to see like, you know, a lot of other new and creative ideas. And Animaniacs came at exactly the right time because people wanted to see this type of stuff and wanted to see different ideas that people could bring to the table and different types of comedy that people could bring to the table too. Whether it was musicals, whether it was comedic, whether it was even there was even some serious moments also in uh, you know uh, Animaniacs as well, which you know I think I'm sure we'll get into as we go further into the show. Yeah, and not to mention that there was a lot of reruns of classic 1930s and 40s TV shows and movies being introduced to a new generation. The Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers, you had the Looney Tunes, where, you know, back then, if you remember, that it was aired on Nickelodeon because they thought that nobody would even care about the Looney Tunes anymore, but then it blew up. And then eventually uh, it would go over to Cartoon Network and basically become uh, a major staple in in our lineup of uh, watching shows. And then eventually we would have all of the new incarnations of Looney Tunes, whether we have the new Looney Tunes show or Lunatics Unleashed or when we had Space Jam. So yeah, around that time period, you know, that classic uh, set, you know, the, the classic slapstick from the thirties and forties and the classic cartoons from the thirties and forties made a major comeback in the nineties. There's this term that uh, Lindsay Ellis, AKA the nostalgia chick would say about like the 40 year rule where it's old enough to be in the consensus of, people's minds but just um enough to parody and to bring homages to because the people who grew up with those shows or those movies are now adults and they're able to implement the things that they grew up with into their shows or movies and we saw that where we know that uh tom ruger and all those people grew up with the marx brothers and grew up with looney tunes and so they decided to implement that for a new generation and it works it works really really well so uh, maybe we should probably start with our title characters, maybe, for the Animaniacs, and that is Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Uh, so uh, they are the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister. 
And yes, so, and I, I really love the fact that the names are just absolutely perfect. So you have the Warner Brothers, which is obviously the name of the, the, the studio. And then you have Dot, as in like the little dot that's on Warner Brothers. When you uh, shorten it up to just B-R-O-S and then the little dot at the end, which is really, really clever. I love it. And yeah, they each have their own distinct personalities. Wacko is the leader of the group and he's his own type of craziness where he's very alliterative with his words. He's very clever with it. And then you have Wacko who is kind of like the little dumb one. He's kind of like the middle brother where he's just obsessive with food and also he is not understanding with a lot of major terms that people tell him. And then you have Dot who's essentially like the cute one. She's adorable and she has to put up with her two brothers who are just constantly hitting on the nurse or if they are just acting really, really crazy even by her standards. So yeah, she's essentially like the the little sister who's always cute. Yeah, and by the way, uh, Yako is played by Rob Paulson. And by the way, if we have to explain who Rob Paulson is on this show, then seriously, wait, is this your first time here? You know, <laughs> like, uh, we should have to explain who Rob Paulson is. But uh, yeah, and then uh, Wacko is also voiced by, by uh, Jesper Hardell uh, of this. And uh, by the way, also puts in, I believe, like, you know, kind of like a, a, a slash scout slash Liverpool accent inspired by the Beatles. So uh, that's where yeah, Wacko's so... voice kind of comes from. Yeah, uh, if you ever heard of the podcast Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell was known for doing a lot of impressions and dialects and uh, voice mimicking of various celebrities and rock stars. So when he was a young boy, he actually learned how to imitate and perfect the dialects of all four Beatles. And when he first auditioned for Wacko in Animaniacs, he first started off with just like this really crazy voice and then he got a callback and then he was doing an Elvis impersonation and then Andrea Romano the voice director which again if you have not heard of Andrea Romano is this your first time here yeah exactly <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway but yeah she suggested hey I know you do the Beatles perfectly why don't you see if you can uh, have Wacko voice as one of the Beatles and so he was voicing as Ringo Starr and then when he saw a picture of Wacko for the first time he saw oh well Wacko's a little guy so he basically just did a more higher pitch version of Ringo Starr, and that's how he got the voice from. Oh man, can you imagine the Jess Arnold doing Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> oh, that would be awesome! I would love him for doing that. <laughs> I'm really surprised that one of those like Thomas the Tank Engine joke didn't make it into the into the Animaniacs. Well, I made a good callback. That would have been a great idea, especially since uh, here in America, we had a series on PBS called Shining Time Station, where it takes place in a train station. And we had these kids and Mr. Conductor who would basically like tell the story of Thomas the Tank Engine. So we never got Thomas the Tank Engine as a standalone show. It was in conjunction with a show called Shining Time Station. And also, so we if, were... I'm not, if, if I'm not wrong, I believe it wasn't voiced by Ringo Starr. It was voiced by somebody else. Oh, it was George wait. Carlin. Yeah, oh, we got the George Carlin of all people. Yeah, we got the George <laughs> Carlin version of Thomas the Tank Engine in Shining Time Station. We never got in the Ringo Starr version. No, in it's fact, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like if Bill Maher voiced the Ragic Roundabout. Like it's just like it's just it's so strange. But uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... and and for those who don't know, in America, it's we would know it as like Dougal, that awful animated movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah movie. But anyway, I'm talking about the series, not the movie. But I, I yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, what you, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, just going back to Jess Arnold, like uh, you know, uh, able to do. 
like you know, Wacko's voice, able to do like you know some of the singing bits as well, and also able to do like you know the the bag of, the gag bag that he would always have you know around you know to do like you know all sorts of other physical comedy. But uh, unfortunately, he could not do enough to do the belch. We'd have to be voiced by Maurice Marsh, if you remember. Yeah, exactly. So Maurice Lamarche, who's the voice of Brain from Pinky and the Brain, actually did the the belching performance, and I think that Jess Arnell tried to do it, but he just couldn't play it off very well like Maurice did. And watching Maurice doing it during an Animaniacs concert is hilarious. Well, we'll talk about by that. By the way, it, it, it's not for those who are newcomer listeners who are listening to this. It's not new for like you know other people that do other voices. You know, so uh, for example, like you know, if you remember uh, um, uh, King from uh, the Owl House, like uh, um, it was Dana Terrace had to do uh, King Squeal of Rage, if you remember. So, yes, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it is not not unknown to like have like a singing voice for a character and then like another voice for like in doing like the regular like lines in in the script. So like, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty thing. common. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, one of our other uh, characters, I believe, who are, or two of our characters who, are, who basically became, became very huge in Animaniacs to the point where they had their own spinoff show was Pinky and the Brain. Yes, and, uh, I think mean, I think we could probably dedicate like an entire podcast to Pinky and the Grain, to be honest with you. But I think we should just, like touch on them and just like you know let everyone know like they you know, they were also pretty huge at, at that time. I would say they got second billing. I think to Pinky and the Brain. they, they did get second they first. No, no, they they did get second billing. And out of all the um, characters that were introduced in Animaniacs, they were the most popular next to Yakko, Wacko, and Dodd. They're the reason why in the 2020 revival they were brought back, while most of the others were not. Yeah, but I mean, it was at the point where Pinky and the Brain, so the idea of their whole act was that they were two lab rats who were basically in, you know, the Acme labs, and, uh, you know, Brain would always uh, try to find a way to take over the world, with Pinky usually trying to find a way, usually end up trying to help him, but in actual fact, messing, messing up the whole thing. And, uh, you know, if you play for, like, comedic value, and then also there'd be, like, some serious moments of the, uh, the time, but uh, probably the most famous, probably Pinky and the Brain episode probably has to, you know, Skate Shepherd, I have to say, is probably the Christmas episode. If I do remember. agree. Yeah, yes. exactly. Where, like, you know, Pinky wanted to, like, you know, uh, give, say to Santa that he wanted to give Brain the world, and, <laughs> and Brain pretty much messed up his entire plan in the, in the emotion of it all. And uh, so, uh, you know, it wasn't just played for laughs. Like, you know, there was some, like, you know, some really good moments of it, too, which, like, you know, uh, really showed, like, a really good connection, not just between, you know, Pinky and the Brain the characters, but, you know, between Lurice Mirage and Paul, Ron Paulson themselves. Effectively, like, yeah, you know, they always enjoy playing Pinky in the Brain together, even like if they're just like on the you know, just the cameos and sketches and stuff. I do love their dynamics together, it's just absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's great, it's great casting. That's what I have to say. Like, you know, the fact that they got these two to play Pinky in the Brain is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine anyone else playing these two characters? No, I do not. No, I don't think so either. The next uh, bunch of characters in this has to be Slappy Squirrel. Without, yes, without, I love yeah. Slappy Squirrel so much. It's essentially like you take a classic cartoon character from the 30s and 40s and you get to see what her life is like now where she's old and rickety and she's cranky and everything that she had seen has already been predictable to her. And so she basically breaks the fourth wall. She's self-aware. I love this dynamic that she has and with her little nephew Skippy where she's trying to teach him the ropes about everything. I think it's just brilliant. Yeah, like uh, she's basically the cranky Kong of this of uh, this world, uh, effectively. Like you know, she just she she's seen it all before, and you know she, she she's critical of like you know the new age, if you will, of like you know other people. But uh, at the same time, gives her a reminder of like you know how great the golden age of cartoons actually was. 
You yeah, know, I, just, I mean, for some reason, and I have no idea why, this is especially apparent in this uh, first season of Animaniacs, but they constantly make fun of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, calling them like insignificant cartoons and just uh, ruining what classic cartoons are. I, I guess maybe they felt that Ninja Turtles was just not very good <laughs> television. In a way, it's kind of weird when you think about it, because I think, you know, a TMNT thing was going for a quiet period, I think, like, you know, during the 90s, because, like, they had the 80s, like, you know, the original series that came in so like you know the late 90s and sorry, sorry, sorry the early 90s if you will and you know, when we got like the rest guy season and then after that it still kind of pitted out a little bit really and like TMNT wasn't really talked about that but much like in the late 90s until like, like until the early 2000s I guess I could say when they found when they finally like you know brought a series back but uh yeah, I mean, like, uh, so, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird, like, seeing them talk about the about TMNT. Like, maybe they, maybe they, like, did the show, like, during the time when they thought TMNT was going to make a comeback, and then it didn't, and uh, so then, like, you know, yeah, that's the only thing I could basically say how strange all that was, but I don't well, know. Well, I mean, there was one episode where you had, you know, the Warner Brothers and sister helping out Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel, and you had this historian talking about, like, we're going to tell the story of Michelangelo, and then the four turtles show up, it's like, ugh, it seems like popular culture has tainted the reputation of these esteemed renaissance painters and artists and basically just made fun of the turtles because i mean everybody knows that the teenage mutant Ninja turtles were named after the renaissance painters and artists leonardo michelangelo donatello Raphael. oh yeah well that joke worked I mean, yes, yeah, it works brilliantly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But in regards to, like, you know, in the instance of Slappy Squirrel, like, you know, talk about, like, you know, the, the modern day cartoons, if you will. It's like, because uh, if I recall, like, you know, the modern day cartoons, you know, I think Batman the Animated Series, I think, was still going on at that time. Yes, but it mind was. You, yes. They, they were going to make fun of their own shows, I don't think. Uh, maybe, maybe there was wrong. an episode of Tiny Toon Adventures where you had Plucky and you had Hampton playing as Batman and Robin. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the Bat Duck, if you will. But, you know, we, yeah, we, we, we know. Well, yeah, yeah there, there was that. And mind you, that was like a whole Justice League kind of like, or just us league if you will like you know a parody that they were doing so they were kind of making fun of everybody at that time but i digress we're going back to where you know where the animaniacs like the oh, the one uh skit i think that was probably like the best was probably like the power rangers like you know parody that they did and uh, oh so, yeah. Uh, yeah where they like they pretty much like you know said they were going to save the lot but ended up kind of like destroying everything in the process <laughs> much. And, uh, yeah, which is like you're kind of thrown away because like, how much of Angel Grove has actually probably been devastated by like you know monster attacks in the time like the Power Rangers supposedly were saving the place when actually they're just like throwing monsters around it's like a bunch of buildings probably cost like billions of dollars worth of damage Really yeah, and, and this is and this is even before the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, discussion on Civil War, where they were talking about like, um, you know, after um, Loki basically just destroyed, you know, everything that happened in New York City, and uh, then we had the introduction of Thanos, and it's like, okay, um, our ideologies that basically just destroyed everything that its path, but we're still trying to protect, you know, civilization. They basically made fun of that parody. They even had a great call back in that episode and not to mention they also did the same thing in powerpuff girls a few years later so yeah i would say that making fun of the fact that superheroes are able to cause even more damage than the bad guys and they're still considered to be the heroes but then they have to deal with like you know casualties and millions of dollars worth of damages so yeah i'm, I'm glad that they were able to poke that that joke at the time because uh, uh, by the way that, that continued on into basically even after the next into the next millennium pretty much if you remember team america world police that was like the opening segment. If yes. you know, like, you know, we got the terrorists, but we destroyed all of Paris. 
Yeah, pretty much. It's like, yeah. So, uh, I mean, like uh, that that skit works pretty well. And also, like you know, uh, a lot of the jokes in here, you know, have actually been kind of like carried on. Also, um, a lot of the jokes even then, you know, were pretty racy from like you know uh, from that particular time that like, went over the heads of a lot of children. When you think about it, like you know, uh, if you remember the infamous fingerprints skit. Oh um, yes, this is from the episode of Hercule Yakko. So they were doing a, a Hercule Poirot parody, which is based off of the Ag- Agatha Christie books. So, yeah, you have the, oh, we're trying to look for Prince, and then Dot carries Prince, the singer. And then Yako said, no, 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 finger Prince. And then she says, I don't think so. So, yeah, that is a very dirty joke. And I'm not going to explain it to anybody who's young enough to not understand that joke. So um, go ask your parents. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, like, there was that one, and uh, then uh, there was the... Uh... Uh, there was the skit in like uh, also they had the skits where like you know Yako, Wacko, and Dot would like you know go through some sort of schooling, if you will. And so like uh, there was uh, I keep forgetting the name of the um the 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 the, the teacher character that was in it. It wasn't uh, it definitely wasn't the nurse. It was uh, who? No, 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 it? it wasn't the nurse because the nurse would just show up whenever Doctor Scratch and Sniff was around, and yeah. they would really you know go over uh to her uh, and kiss her and then just say hello nurse yeah so her name her name was a uh, miss flamille by the way miss flamille okay then yeah so there's quite a few uh there's quite a few dirty jokes in there so like there was the uh, con- conjugate uh um i never even kissed yeah, the me, conjugate, so, conjugate episode yeah conjugate episode, yeah i conjugate with you. good night everybody yeah yes oh yeah that was pretty much kind of like how to indicate like there was a dirty joke that was in there when she when yeah when Yakovich would say good night everybody yeah basically uh, you know every time that it's insinuated that it's something dirty he would always say good night everybody and i think a lot of people still remember that quote even to this day yeah uh well mind you like you know uh, there was that mrs real like you know started, like you know where she would keep things like in a bra and she's like she's pulling things out and like you know yaka was like oh what else have you got in there <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly oh. <laughs> it makes you wonder how much of this stuff was ad-libbed you know, when you, when you, I, you I wouldn't be surprised considering that um, we've heard a lot of stories about various animated shows where they were given enough creative freedom for ad-libbing. But then again, you also had the amazing writing from Peter Hastings, Paul Rugg, Sherry Stoner, and various other people who were just that creative and been able to just do whatever they wanted. And I think that that is also akin to why the show is still fantastic because they were able to just say, screw the censors, let's just do whatever we want. Yeah, there was one segment in uh, where you know the the Echo, you know, say the Warner Brothers and Dot like uh, met Death for the first time, and uh, this was before Billy and Mandy, by the way. Like you know, this was a totally different character, but uh, they were actually asking if they could watch the Adult Channel. Which, oh yeah, for those you don't know what the Adult Channel is, well, it's uh, has the internet been you know going leaps and bounds since then? I have to say, but, yeah, pretty uh, much, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot of skits that a lot of people still remember from Animaniacs, like the please, please, please get a life foundation, where it was basically making fun of the fan base who were constantly nitpicking on, you know, any show that was coming out. I mean, we saw this in The Simpsons, and it's no exception that Animaniacs would be another show that they would do this. And they would do this again in Freakazoid, and they would do this again in Powerpuff Girls. So yeah, even back then, they would always make fun of the fact that there was going to be some guy 
uh, sitting down on his computer, constantly nitpicking and complaining about something. And that is why they decided to do that episode where it basically ridiculed people who, even though that they were really passionate about the show, they can be really, really obsessed with it. It's like, yeah, you should be doing more than just sitting in your computer, constantly nitpicking about mistakes and, uh, you know, various minor details that has been overlooked. Yeah. Do you remember Mr. Skullhead? Oh, God, Mr. Skullhead. Good good idea, bad idea. Yep, I love that. So basically, um, it's essentially Goofus and Gallant. Uh, Gallant was the good kid, and he would always be the one doing everything right, while Goofus was the one who um, did everything completely wrong. So it was based off of a series of comic strips that would be on highlights for children. I don't know if you had that in the UK, Aaron. Um, I probably did, but uh, again, like, you know, it probably wouldn't be something I'd be paying attention to. Yeah, and um, I'm sure for a lot of people who grew up during that time period, it would be like that series of children's magazines that would be on like waiting rooms and hospitals. So yeah, yeah, basically the big comics comics back in my time were probably like you know the Simpsons comics and the Sonic comics. They were probably Mm -hmm. pretty big. I mean, I'm in the dandy by the way, but uh, you know I digress. Sure, but yeah, good idea, bad idea is essentially that where you have like. Um, segments that would basically showcase a good idea where it's basically like really, really nice, and then a bad idea, which was the complete opposite. It would just be a disaster. Those were always really, really funny. Yeah. Um, there was also the segments at the very end of the shows, which used to be the Wheel of Morality, if you remember yes. that. Like, uh, where they would, uh, you know, uh, spin the wheel and uh, then they would just pick out a, <laughs> a, a morality. That, that was making fun of the fact that, you know, it all shows are like morals at the end. Yeah, well, the the reason why was because back in 1990, uh, there was a uh, law that was stated that kids shows needed to be educational because if you if you remember, the 1980s was a time period where people were taking advantage of animated shows, using them as 30 minute toy commercials. And so they felt that children were being manipulated and, you know, asking their parents to constantly buy toys when they decided that around the 90s, they wanted to implement education into their programs, which is where we got the edutainment programs that we would grow up with in the 90s, like Carmen Sandiego, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, you had, um, well, you know, if you various- remember, like, you know, even uh, even He Man and the Masters of the Universe, it was a quarter of the tail end of that. Like, if you remember, you know, magic drugs don't make your problems go away. And <laughs> also, don't forget about the Sonic Says uh, segments on Sonic the Hedgehog, the animated series. Oh my God, that's no good. That's no good. Wheel of Morality, they always made fun of that. And, you know, some of the snips that they were able to come out with that is hilarious. Like, um, you know, if, if at first you don't succeed, blame your parents. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it was always really funny to see them trying to work around the fact that they had to implement those things, but do it in a way that kind of makes fun of it, which, again, is what makes the show really brilliant. Yeah, but you know, like uh, regardless of that, I mean, like uh, you know, dare I say, probably people who have watched the Animaniacs probably f- know far more about geography than probably most of the people who haven't watched Animaniacs. And That's you true. Know refer- and you probably know what I'm referring to when I say that. That's either Yakko's World slash Wacko's America. That's right. Yeah. So next to Carmen San Diego, I would say Animaniacs was a great um, introduction to geography for a lot of people. And yeah, I mean, whether it be with uh, Yakko's World, where he basically sings every country in the world, Wacko's America, where he would be singing all the capitals of the United States. So yeah, I, I guess that's another thing that we need to bring up is the music. The music in Animaniacs is fantastic. And we have to give credit to people like Randy Rogel, who was able to write some of the best songs 
songs in Animaniacs. And we have Richard Stone and uh, Stephen Julie Bernstein, who did the orchestra, which, by the way, uh, this and Tiny Tunes was able to implement an orchestrated soundtrack, which hadn't been done since Looney Tunes. And they even used the same room that Carl Stalling did all of his orchestrated music in Looney Tunes. So that's a great uh, way of implementing something that is both old and new at the same time. And yeah, I would say that a lot of the songs that were featured in Animaniacs was just absolutely fantastic, whether it be with the Warner Brothers and Warner Sister, or even with Rita, which they got Bernadette Peters to voice as Rita. And she is amazing as always. Yeah, so they, I think they should have released an did they actually ask about this? Did they ever release an original soundtrack for the original Animaniac series? That's a great question. I don't know. That would be pretty cool. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Like, you know, all, all the creative music. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you should watch the show. Like, you know, it's, uh, I'm not suggesting that's, you know, where you, they should just take out the music and, like, you know, that that's basically it. Like, you know, I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, seriously, I think, uh, you know, if they released, like, you know, a vinyl, if they released, like, you know, a CD or whatever, like, you know, back in that time, like, I reckon it would have sold. Wouldn't you? Okay. I- I'm looking it up right now and they have released, uh, they have released uh, CDs and vinyl records of Animaniacs. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I missed that boat. Great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I missed it too. I mean, it, I wish that I would have uh, purchased, uh, you know, the CDs of it. I mean, I would have immediately would have got it if I would have known about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that because you know, like uh, ev- everyone who uh, who's watched the animation will definitely tell you that the music is top notch in in mm-hmm. this, and uh, the fact that they are creating an entire uh, you know musical segment for Yakko's World and, and Wacko's America, and uh, let's not even forget, like you know, a, a lot of like the the musical aspects of this as well, like Reader and Run's example, like you know were all there you know musical bits that are in this and uh it's just it's uh you know like it's uh, and even in, outside of you know reader and run like you know yakko wako and other you know uh the, you remember the monkey song that that they had like you know oh yeah that's right they, they, they in this in the first episode they were able to parody harry belafonte's monkey and they did a great job at that yeah, exactly, and uh, that was a fantastic song, and in, in that, and uh, you know, this is the thing, you know, everyone who who remembers the Animaniacs, and anyone who remembers who definitely, you know, were uh, um, have checked out shows like this, will definitely remember the music. Absolutely. I mean, if you were to say um, any song from Animaniacs, it would strike gold. I mean, whether it be with um, Yakko's World, where you always uh, mention about like United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, or even with, um, you know, Yakko's Universe, where he would talk about like, it's a great big universe and we're all really puny. We're all tiny little specks of the size of Mickey Rooney. I mean, it all just matched really, really well because Randy Rogel just had this wonderful way of springing together a mixture of like limericks and haiku and um perfectly symmetric rhymes and you know um melodies to fit everything so well together everybody remembers i'm mad i'm cute uh lay miseranimals um all those songs i mean they are absolutely fantastic and i'm just really glad that people praise the songs just as much as the humor in this show yeah so, uh, I mean, the, besides I mean, some of the ones that we mentioned, like, you know, this uh, show had various uh, segments. Like, you know, there was the Good Feathers, by the way, like, you know, which obviously was supposed to be like, you know, a, a parody of the Good Feathers, Fair Fellows. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, essentially Squit is supposed to be Henry and you have Pesto, who is Tommy. 
and then you have um Johnny who's essentially Jimmy. So yeah, you have Squid who is very similar to Henry where he wants to be a good feather and he always monologues in every episode it's like as far back as I remember, I've always wanted to be a good feather and I got that opportunity one day. And so you have basically the wide-eyed optimistic pigeon who wants to be a part of essentially the mafia. <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, I guess you know dream big or don't dream at all so that's that's one thing and then you have pesto who's essentially tommy where it's, it's that one joke in the scene of the copacabana where he's basically telling henry what am, am i funny am i a clown do i amuse you just basically take that one joke from that one scene and put it to its entire character where you have squid telling pesto a compliment and he takes it the complete 180 and they always end up fighting and then finally, you have the last, um, you know, uh, you have the last good feather, who's essentially Jimmy, aka the Robert De Niro character, and he's just kind of like laid back and just like watching everything and just laughing out loud to all the situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's essentially like the Goodfellas. It I, it makes a lot of sense because the movie was released in 1990, so it was still fresh in people's minds, and already it was like an instant classic at that time. So. Yeah, it, it was this and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart that was able to bring the Goodfellas into our pop culture stable. Yeah, uh, Buttons and Mindy was also another one where Buttons was a German Shepherd and I had to watch Mindy the entire time. And Mindy would also get get completely get herself into all sorts of uh, you know crazy situations, and, uh, and Buttons would try and have to try and rescue rescue her at his own, you know, putting his own safety at risk. Yeah, so if, if you remember the classic Tom and Jerry cartoons from like the 40s, they would always have an episode where Tom and Jerry would be watching over a baby because the babysitter is just too distracted being on her phone. So you have Tom and Jerry just watching over the baby who's just crawling around and getting into mischief and then they have to go rescue the baby and they would get to some seriously harmful stuff they would be injured to the extreme they would get burned they would get crushed they would fall into manholes they would fall into high heights up in buildings but all for taking care of a baby they did a parody of this with roger rabbit in which you had the roger rabbit cartoons with baby herman in which baby herman would be like crawling around into the kitchen and getting into trouble so that he can get the cookies and roger would get into severe damage just so that he can protect the baby so that he can be able to make sure that he's safe and um, yeah it's essentially oh, that I, was just saying, I get that mindy's a baby but good grief like you know she, she's so unaware of everything that's still like going around she doesn't even call her mom and mother she calls her lady yeah exactly like, hey he's like bip, bip, hello lady <laughs> yeah it's like you know well, who, who's a who's the worst baby character mindy or dw well, I mean, that's kind of hard to say because DW's five. I mean, isn't Mindy like, I don't know, three or something? I have no idea. I thought DW was well younger than that. No, no, time. she's actually five, even though she's that she's five has, years old. He's five years old. I, I would no, I don't, I, I, I refuse. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I want it. I want, I want an age test, seriously. Like, you know. They had an episode of uh, of Arthur where it was DW's fifth birthday. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> the, the way that she behaves on that show, I don't believe that. Anyway, <laughs> like, we're getting, we're getting, yeah, we're anyway, but yeah, she always had a catchphrase where she would say, I love you, bye bye, every single time that Buttons would almost try to grab Mindy, but then he realizes, oh no, I'm going to fall down really, really far up. And then he, she always says, I love you, bye bye. And then he just crashes down into the floor. So 
yeah, classic slapstick right there. Yeah, one of my my least favorite, I think, uh, segments. I think has to be the chicken boo ones. I've got to. Be uh, it it, it yeah. is pretty one note. I mean, it's essentially like, oh wow, there's this mysterious guy walking around in a hat and a trench coat. He's a chicken. Yeah, that's well, the it's joke. not even that. Like, it just it just happens to be like you know the, the chicken will dress up as like any character and just be describing I mean, for, for what purpose? Like, why is this chicken doing all of this? Like, you know, like, and you don't even like get an explanation. All it does is just cluck. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like that's the joke. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it may, it's, it's, it doesn't exactly give you why does the chicken cross the road for his, give, give a run for his money, does it? When you really think mm. about it, but it's, it's not exactly a robot chicken, is it? So, yeah, I guess uh, not. Yeah, like and, uh, and another one that um, I guess that maybe they thought, oh, you know, you have this chicken running around. I, I guess it's kind of like Wallace and Gromit. You know, in Wallace and Gromit, in which you have the penguin who is disguising himself as like a uh, as a chicken. As so maybe they were brawl, yeah. But I mean that 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 made sense because obviously, like uh, you know, he was disguising himself to like you know do um do, do like robberies. And stuff like you know, Chicken Boo's doing this. We don't know why he's like pretending to be like other people in that. Like you know, is Chicken Boo wanting to like you know, is is he just looking for like you know uh, acceptance in this world? Like is he just looking for like you know someone to accept who he is, or like is he just looking for belonging? Like is he going for an identity crisis? Like you know, what's this chicken's deal? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe that's part of the joke. It's like we don't know. That makes it funny. Uh, yeah, I just think it's I just think it's weak, in my opinion. It, it would have been nice if there was like a payoff where we're like we finally like find out why he's doing all of this, but uh, no, I don't think we ever did. No, we never did. And then another segment that a lot of people felt was one of the weakest was definitely the hippos. No, oh, yeah, like I don't even remember the hippos to be honest with you. I mean, essentially, there are these two hippos named Flavio and Marita, and they are basically just traveling around and following the latest trend, and they're always together. And that's essentially the joke, because they're trying to protect these hippos, but then the zoologist ends up getting hurt, very similar to, like, Buttons and Mindy. And then these hippos are just, like, really falling in love with each other and just trying to live off their lives normally. And, yeah, there's not really too much on them other than just that it's just basically one joke very similar to chicken boo yeah and uh, then we get two characters i think have been pretty you know uh you know had an effect i think on both yakko wacko and dot and various other characters as well and that is uh, dr otto von scratch and sniff who is the uh, uh psychiatrist of austrian descent and uh you know i think uh, you know some of the episodes that he gets involved with with you know with the warner brothers and warner sister i think are probably like the, the ones that are kind of like, dare i say you know more, more, the more character evolving episodes I guess, they because, are the most character evolving like, episodes because yeah, yeah the because he's the one who's actually de- dealing into the psyche of like you know our main characters effectively yeah he's kind of Essentially, story. Yeah, he is essentially doing that. He is essentially trying to learn about that, where even in the first episode, when we first get introduced to both Otto, Scratch and Sniff and Yakko, Wacko and Dodd, where he's trying to learn about them, even he is absolutely clueless on how to deal with them. He's the reason, I mean, the, the, the Warner Brothers and sister is the reason why he's bald in the first place, because he used to have hair, but he actually pulled it out because he was going through a lot of stress. And then there was one episode where he was trying to get them ready for a big Warner Brothers party, and 
and he was teaching them how to be etiquette, like how to have good manners. And he just falling apart because they have no clue. They He's trying to teach them how to eat properly. He's teaching them how to walk properly and how to greet people. But they're just acting like they're goofy selves. And then they actually do it. And the reason why was because he didn't ask them the right way. And he's just like stressed out about it. And of course, there's another character who is, you know, commonly introduced in those segments alongside with the Warner Brothers and sister and Otto Scratch and Sniff. And that is the main Warner Brothers CEO and executive. And uh, he's just like your typical CEO and executive. He just wants to make money. He wants to get... um you know, everything running smoothly. He wants to be able to kick off the Warner Brothers and Sisters because they're ruining everything. So, yeah, I mean, they're, he's essentially that character. And in, and in that episode, he actually kicks off the Warner Brothers and Sister because he's trying to impress these Japanese investors so that they can get a billion dollars. And he actually kicks out them on purpose so that he doesn't. they don't ruin it. And in reality, the Japanese investors love Yakko, Yakko and Dot because they're crazy. And they essentially see the executive as just this brown nose who's just constantly boring them to death and just knowing that he's just doing this for the money and I think that um, it's kind of pretty relevant today about where the CEO of Warner Brothers is taking these characters yeah exactly and uh, I mean I, mind you like the, what they did with Thaddeus wasn't kind of like anything new like you know where a lot of comedic shows did make fun of executives at that time because they just felt they were the ones who were like you know made, feeling they were suppressing them in some way and or they didn't like the way that they were doing their politics around the office and stuff like that like that's the one thing about some of the, the shows in the 90s that you'll find that do make fun of like you know the uh, the higher ups in like companies because they were the jesters who effectively weren't all that you know untouchable because everybody loved the work and uh, loved what they did so you know they were able to get away with it to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you'll yeah. find a lot of that in the anime. You find a lot of the anime next Freakazoid and various other ones too. And uh, in fact, even Steven Spielberg himself actually even got involved. You know, in a couple of segments too. Yeah, uh, the Michelangelo oh. one is a great example where you know Michelangelo is trying to paint the Sistine Chapel, and you have um, the Warner Brothers and sister basically like ruining it. And then Michelangelo saying, no, it has to look like this. And then Yakko's basically saying, okay, so let me get this straight. You want us to paint a bunch of naked people in front of, uh, on, on top of a ceiling in a church? We'll do it. And so <laughs> they basically paint it and then they leave one empty space and then we have the Pope coming in. And, you know, while Michelangelo is greeting the Pope, the Yakko, I mean, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot paint E.T., and Elliot on top of the Sistine Chapel. And it just so happens the Pope is Steven Spielberg. And he loves <laughs> lo- it. And he loves it. Of course he does. And uh, also, if you remember, like, I mean, this wasn't technically Animaniacs. I think it was Freakazoid. But so they had like this, uh, they had the crossover segment where they had uh, Wacko, they have Freakazoid, and they have the brain. And they're all arguing about who, like, you know, Steven Spielberg loves the most. And yep, that, then, is like, a freak- you know, that is a Freakazoid yeah, episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Steven Spielberg turns and says, Who are you people? Uh, i I guess at that point in time in the late 90s when steven spielberg was winning a bunch of oscars i guess um you know they were trying to make the joke about like oh what what, you know i'm I'm not involved in these cartoons i I, i've done schindler's list i did jurassic park i'm I'm above these uh you know animated pics you know animated um you know cell figures so yeah i guess the fact that he doesn't remember who they are is kind of funny in itself yeah, it's brilliant. So I, I mean, to be uh, fair, you know, Steven Spielberg wasn't the creator of these cartoons. He was simply the executive producer. So yeah, but he 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 gave people the ability to basically you know do what they needed to do effectively. Like you know, he gave creative freedom, which I think you know I think a lot of people you know it's a you know uh, it's a studio are very grateful for. 
Eventually. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, even a, a lot of people even argue that he's a better producer than director, which I don't agree. I think he's great at both. Well, I think it really depends on what the subject matter he's dealing with, effectively. Like, you know, E.T., of course, everyone says like he's great at E.T. Because, you know, that's that's it. That's his thing. But, you know, like, uh, I mean, not everything he does touch turns to gold, admittedly. It really depends what you give him to work with. But, uh, I mean, the one thing I, I do appreciate about you know, Steven Spielberg, at least in this situation, is that they look, he looked at Animaniacs. He looked at the abilities that uh, this whole thing could have. And he just said, go nuts with it. And uh, that's what everybody did. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, he's, he, does, he does a lot of props for at least being, you know, in, the, in that regard. You know? Yeah. And apparently from what I've heard in interviews that, um, you know, him reading scripts for Tiny Toons and Animaniacs was able to get him out of the depressive funk when he was working on Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. If you, if you work on something like that, I think you're going to need a little bit of entertainment, don't you? Yeah. And, and so, you know, reading those scripts was able to help him out. And I, I think that also another thing that Stephen did a really good job at was that he was able to give that stamp of quality to a lot of the shows that he was a part of. I mean, we saw with Tiny Toons about how great that was. And Maniacs was fantastic. Freakazoid, I argue, is pretty underrated. I think that it's a great show that was able to make fun of, hey, what would happen if this kid had the abilities of the Internet? But it's 1990. 90s internet and I, I understand that some people were pretty negative on pinky elmira and the brain and also well, if you remember of, even at the very you know the very intro of the show they even sell us why they were doing this so yeah like, they were yeah, doing I, this because it was corporate mandate i know exactly yeah so like i think everybody had, had the right to like say oh yeah i know we all know why you're doing this and we sympathize with you and that's the reason why we think it sucks you know, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I don't think anyone was happy with that situation do you of course not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Pinky and the Brain. And Elmira, I, I mean, I would say on the right context, she's funny. But if it's pushed too far, it's really annoying and irritating. But yeah. Elmira was good as a side character. As a main character, totally not. Absolutely like, not. Yeah. No. She was good when she was with the other characters, but not by herself. Definitely not by herself. Well, 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 uh, yeah. Like, but mind you, like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's past the Animaniacs at this point like you know we're picking in the brain i think we can all agree was the most successful thing out of the you know were the the animaniac series because they got their own spin-off series crying out loud and it was i mean the successful. reason why was because i think that next to the warner brothers and warner sister they were varied like you can be able to play up in any situation sure it was the same premise trying to take over the world but they could do so much with it they had disguises they manipulated people they brainwashed people they tricked well, people. They, they did you remember, everything. Like the, the, there was that one episode where you know where Brain, uh, you know, were pretended to be like a human, and he got into jeopardy, and like he tried to like win, you know, the the big prize so he could get the money to like do what he wanted to do. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. He, yeah. But, he was trying to raise up money so that he can get the final piece of a magnet that was going to get this. The magnet was going to have people stick to the ground if they were carrying pocket change. And he was going to use that to take over the world. And the reason why he lost was because he did not know what the catchphrase of was of a sitcom that Pinky was constantly saying all the time. And that was uh, basically a honeymooners parody of boom, pow, right in the kisser. And he didn't know that because apparently he didn't pay attention to Pinky. He said that stuff is not important, Pinky. You know, intelligence, geography, science, that's what's important. Well, he lost everything because he didn't know the answer to that question that Pinky already knew. 
Yeah, but yeah, th there was a lot of instances where Pinky and the Brain would disguise themselves. Uh, you know, he was also disguising himself as a cowboy so that he can be involved in a talk show host. And yeah, there was a lot of uh, great examples of well, that. Well, remember but... though, there was a, there was this one bit where they decided to like you know make themselves like you know children's cartoon sorry children's characters uh, for a kids show, and uh, they basically use like the power of the nostalgia to like you know try and you know uh, uh, take uh, you know trying to you know brainwash everybody to like you know uh, working as their minions. If you remember right. that episode, and uh, then but it kind of backfired on them because I was like saying, "Well, where have you been all this time?" Like you know, like <laughs> we want to know what you're doing. So like you know, they were even like, uh, dare I say? I mean, like you know, you look at like pop culture now, and like you know how much we like we appreciate all the stuff we grew up with. Like you know that that episode kind of like you know was sort of right to it to a degree in some mm -hmm. way. Like you know, like, people remember like all the good stuff that they had now. Uh, pretty yeah, much. and. Exactly. And that was why Pinky and the Brain was one of the popular segments in Animaniacs was because they were able to play around with it so much. And unfortunately, most of the segments are pretty one notes. I mean, sure, you have the good feathers uh, and, you know, they go into their, you know, situations. But at that point, you know, it's just like, OK, it's the same joke over and over again. Same thing with Katie Kaboom. Same thing with Buttons and Mindy. And same thing with the hippos. And yeah, like they didn't have that same variation compared to all the others yeah. well they were like the original ones in a way and then as eventually as the uh, you know the idea started getting started to get tired i mean they started to kind of like you know fade away a little bit in early in later seasons then after that we started to get other stuff so uh, i mean it was uh, so while it was there it wasn't like they're like you know in your face the entire time i mean eventually they decided they finally find it that's uh, oh hey there's like other ideas that we have and eventually some of those other ideas are getting pushed to the side and some other you know stuff like i mean like you know um, mr mr uh, skullhead got me you know more segments in in that uh you know those are the uh silence you know uh, uh episodes where you know we're getting more you know we're also getting more reception had more ideas for and so i mean yeah like why, why they were there I mean, they weren't there all the time, and uh, let's face it, like, you know, the, the main characters obviously were going to be, you know, Yakko, Wacko, and uh, and Dart, and they were going to be Pinky in the Brain, and they were going to be Slappy Squirrel, like, you know, they, they were basically the meat in... in, in yeah, in, exactly. In I, I mean, they're, they're the popular ones for a reason, because they were the ones that were consistently funny. Yeah, so uh, another segment that I want to go into is Wacko's Wish, the movie. So, yeah, I've talked about Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation being, like, one of my favorite movies that i would tune into every year so around summertime i would tune into it and i would say almost the same thing every winter i would tune into wacko's wish because it is just that good the music is great i love the story and the fact that they were able to focus on wacko for a change was also uh really great and i really enjoyed the movie what, what did you think of it uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say something very shocking here like you know i've never seen wacko's wish really yeah well, I'm, now I'm... you know what we're doing it this christmas Oh well, I guess we're. Well, I guess we're gonna go to choice then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. gonna come over. I'm hoping to come over uh, to England this Christmas, so we're going to watch Wacko's. It's Wish. amazing. Like I've seen five seasons of the Animaniacs, but I can't. I can't recall Wacko's Wish. I mean, like I remember it being released on VHS, but I actually can't remember it actually being on UK TV. I might be totally wrong, but uh, I mean, like. Uh... I don't remember actually because I I, I remember you know Titan Two's Adventures how I spent my vacation I know that because it was on V it was on VHS and we did rent it so like I have seen you know how I spent my summer you know where uh, the uh, how I spent my summer vacation but yeah I've never seen Wacko's Wish I mean I guess I never rented up the the uh, VHS or the DVD well we're definitely watching it okay then if we can find it that is so. well I mean I'm sure that it's probably on like 
you know, HBO Max or Hulu or something. So we'll, we'll definitely find it. I'm always looking at here. Uh, well, if you want to watch Wacko's Wish, I believe the film was released on DVD on October 7th, 2014, shortly after the death of Liz Holman and uh, Rusty Mills in 2010. It was also uh, shocking as a performance as possible for his death in 2021. Um, Wish also aired on Cable Networks, Castle Networks, Cinemax, Boomerang, and recently on The Hub, now Discovery Family. So, uh, and it's also available for download in the PlayStation Store. Okay. So, uh, oh, it's out there somewhere. I don't really have much to go over with Animaniacs, so let's just give our final thoughts. Um, great show. Um, definitely recommended watch if you're uh, looking for nineties shows. Uh, definitely like you know, it gives you, it gives you a feeling of like you know where, where comedy was uh, back in back in the nineties. And uh, I would definitely say that as anybody who's a fan of Tiny Toon Adventures, anybody who's a fan of Freakazoid, anybody who's a fan of this, and you've not somehow missed Animaniacs here between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety nine. Seriously, go watch it. It's a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely one of the best shows that ever featured in the 90s. It works both as a fantastic show for kids and adults. The kids would love the slapstick. The kids would love the jokes, but the adults would love the clever wordplay and the sexual innuendos and the double entendres. And the fact that it calls back into like the 1930s and 40s, which probably there were nostalgia for at the time. And as for people who did grow up with it as kids and are watching it again as adults like us, then I would say that it works in both fronts, that it's a, a great showcase of the type of humor and uh, type of storytelling that we grew up with in the 90s. And it's able to work on both sides of just like we never really knew about the jokes that um, we saw as a kid, that it flew over our heads and we still remember the music. We still remember the characters. And so, yeah, it's kind of hard to say about if I prefer this over tiny tunes it's really difficult because i talked about in that podcast about how much i love tiny tunes but i would say that it's just as good as tiny tunes what do, what about you or do you prefer this over tiny tunes or do you think tiny tunes is slightly better um i gotta be honest with you i would prefer any maniacs over tiny tunes okay then yeah i mean like oh, who knows maybe when the new because uh we're, well as of this podcast i mean like uh, we are going to be experiencing the new tiny tunes uh you know show soon so, That's right. Uh, yeah. Nice. So Tiny Toons Luniversity is going to be coming out, I think, later this month. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe that might come out. Maybe that might change my mind. I don't know. But uh, right now, I feel, uh, given the fact that we're talking about it right now and all the memories that we've kind of gone through, I really do feel that, you know, Animaniacs, I feel like, is this the one. All right, then. Well, like I said, I personally prefer both of them for different reasons. And it's hard to say which one's good in term, uh, which one is the best, because they both have their own strengths and weaknesses. Like, I would say that Tiny Toons definitely has a lot of the homages to Looney Tunes, where you actually do get to see the Looney Tunes characters and you get to see the same slapstick as Looney Tunes. And Animaniacs does have that homage to Looney Tunes, but is able to play it off in a different way. And they have more segments. But the thing is, is that some of these segments are pretty forgettable whereas with tiny tunes they have a lot more memorable characters and music on the other hand i think that animaniacs kind of edges it out a little bit because a lot of the songs that were featured in tiny tunes were already like pre-existing songs so i mean for a lot of people they were introduced to they might be giants through tiny tunes but then again with animaniacs um they did have some pre-existing songs like with harry belafonte but then again you had things like um all the songs that were written by randy rogel so yeah i would say that both of them are great you know pick your own preference all right then so that is it for this episode of casual chat so aaron thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for the opportunity all right so let's pr plug and promote our stuff 
The Aaron Meta Show, you can find on Aaron Meta Show, A-R-U-N-M-E-H-T-A-S-H-O-W on Twitter. Also, I'm also on um, Instagram as well, under the same banner. If you want to ask me a question on Tumblr, it's aaronmeta.tumblr.com. And uh, yeah, just uh, stay tuned because I will be coming up with some more episodes of the Aaron Meta Show very soon. All right. And as for me, you can check out my work, which is at oldschoollane.net, uh, youtube.com slash oldschoollane, facebook.com slash oldschoollane. I'm on Twitter at patty underscore beam underscore Miranda. I'm on Mastodon at Patricia Miranda. Uh, I'm on Instagram, which is at old dash um, old underscore school underscore lane. You can check out the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast, uh, Radio Public, Amazon Music, all those places. New episodes of the podcast will go there first and then it'll go up in a few days on YouTube. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. Let us know in the comments below about your memories of Animaniacs. What were your favorite episodes? What were your favorite characters? What were your favorite songs? What were your favorite segments? And uh, what did you think of Wacko's Wish? Are you like me, who absolutely loves it and watches it every year? Or are you like Aaron, which you've never seen this it before? So yeah, let us know. If you want us to cover more on Animaniacs, if you want us to see the 2020 version of Animaniacs, or even if you want us to see Tiny Toons Luniversity, which is going to be coming out this month, then please let us know in the comments below that's it hope to see you around soon and take care okay and uh, we're not spinning the mural uh, the wheel of morality are we oh yeah yeah let, let, let's spin the wheel of morality okay so wheel of morality turn 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 what is the lesson that you want us to learn okay, okay we have a uh, lesson number four what is it aaron uh, don't eat yellow snow <laughs> good night everybody <laughs>